Aloha, and welcome to Sup FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Thank you, my man. man. I love that guy. He's got such an incredible voice. See you on the water. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us for another Sup FM podcast. Today, we've got Emma Love, and um, she talks all about how she became one of the very first whitewater SUP instructors in the whole of the United Kingdom. And there's a thing called She Paddles. You know, a couple, you may remember with Vicky Weston a couple of weeks ago, we had her on from Sydney, and she was talking about She Sups. Well, this is She Paddles, which is a movement in the UK that we'll learn all the more about. So, oh, and one more thing, just please don't forget to check out supfm.show. That's www.supfm.show, where you can get a free app guide to all the most incredible apps that you need to have when you're out on the water. And also, our SUP safety course is there as well. There's a link there. And um, if you're a member of our email list, you'll get 10 bucks off that course, which you cannot miss. And uh, yeah, because the SUP FM safety course is amazing. You know, we really wanted to try and help you guys out there to, to be safer paddlers and uh, to take care of yourself. So let's hope that does it. I learned a hell of a lot about safety while we were doing the course, which was great. So, so you can too. Anyway, as I said, Simon and Emma Love. Today on SUP FM, I'm delighted to be joined by Emma Love. Now, Emma is an ambassador for the She Paddles program, which is an initiative to get more women paddling and run by British Canoeing. And she's also a whitewater SUP coach and a leading light of the Knots Whitewater SUP organisation. Emma, you're very welcome to SUP FM. Hi, Simon. Thanks for, for having me. So before we talk about all things white water, could you just tell us a little bit about your first experience with SUP and your first time up on a paddleboard? For sure. Um, so um, I can remember probably around about six years ago, spotting a, a photograph of a stand-up paddleboard in a outdoor magazine, you know, clothes fashion magazine, and not knowing what it was. And a year later, my young son and I had decided that we wanted to go off and try a little bit of paddling. We were off to the south of France on one of these kind of holiday, you know, little river trips in an open canoe. And we had no idea how to paddle. So I thought, hmm, being the responsible mum, we should probably go find out. So we headed off to um, Home Pierpoint and they have these half hour sessions where you can just book something out and go and have a play. And we were playing on an, in an open uh, canoe and weren't particularly enamoured by it. And my, my son was uh, getting very bored and we saw some girls come out on what I then found out after a, a chat with one of the instructors there was a stand-up paddleboard. So my son was absolutely besotted by these, you know, jumped on a board quickly and was working out how to fall off a board as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, and I was the, you know, adult trying to work out how to stay on the board. And we had such a, a really great half-hour session there messing about on these boards. And, and that was really my first experience. Um, and that then developed on to joining a small women's group who met weekly uh, and paddled on the lake. Um, and it really progressed from there. So what was it then that um, led you to take up white water? Because that's quite a, um, a move from paddling on a lake. Yes, it is, isn't it? Huh. I, I think I did what many people do when they first get a paddleboard. You know, you, you head out on your own and you start paddling a bit of a canal and you, as I say, you know, I, I joined this women's group and, um, and I was quickly getting um, bored. And I think partially that was because I wasn't paddling with a community. I mean, I think with paddle sports, community is so, so important. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's about information swapping, isn't it? It's about going out, having fun with other people, etc. And But I was, I was quite isolated, really, in what I was doing. Yeah, as I say, I was kind of getting bored with it. And then a good paddling friend of mine, um, she said, why, why not uh, try white water stand-up paddleboarding? And I, I kind of was, you know, interested, but forgot about the, the conversation. And then I had to go to my local kayak store 
and um, got talking to one of the guys there, uh, Barry Hughes, and he was asking uh, what kind of, uh, I think it was coming up to winter, and I wanted some clothing so I could carry on paddleboarding. And he was asking, you know, what exactly I was doing, and we got chatting. And I told him about how I'd been in uh, in France, uh, um, and I'd rented a paddleboard, and I had a, a little play about on the tiniest, tiniest bit of rapid on my knees, and and again, it was on my own. And his eyes kind of uh, <laughs> kind of widened, and he was like, "Do you fancy having a go at this?" And this was whitewater stand-up paddleboarding. So, yeah, so kind of a few weeks later, there I was down at uh, Home Pier Point Whitewater Course. The guys asked me, you know, what was my previous paddling experience? None. How long have I been on a paddleboard? Mm, a few months. And they were like, hmm, okay. So they put me on a board and they put me on a, which is a tricky bit of water. We don't actually put beginners on there now, but at the time, um, they were still very much negotiating um, having paddle boards on white water, the Whitewater course. So it was very much in its early days of Nottingham Whitewater stand-up paddleboard. So the bit of water they put me on, we actually tend to put more kind of intermediates on. So, of course, I get on the board and I fall off and swim. And I think, I don't know, I started probably around september october time so we were doing it under you know floodlights in the dark um and um by christmas i had worked out um with their support how to paddle standing up down the section which we call the dalek so it's the very last section on the course and that was incredible i remember getting off the water and it was it was uh yeah it was thinking about the week or so before christmas and it was so, so cold, and I was knocking ice out of my hair, and the adrenaline rush was incredible. Probably worth uh, mentioning to the listeners that uh, white water course is is quite incredible, and I eyed it up when I was up in Nottingham and then decided it wasn't for me, so uh, full kudos <laughs> for getting out on that. That's, that's incredible. So that was your taste. It sounds like a, a really solid induction there. Um, yeah. But, you know, kudos for you for, for sticking to it because it uh, can be a bit dispiriting, I guess, if you're constantly falling off. But I guess it's sort of a, a, a persistence. In terms of sort of white water and its attraction, I haven't done it. I would imagine it's a fantastic schooling for any other sort of paddling because there are so many dynamic aspects to it. But is, is, was that part of the attraction to you? Um, I, I suppose for me it was, I think the biggest attraction was that actually the, the, the community was just so welcoming. That was the biggest part. Mm. Um, so, you know, the guys didn't look at me and laugh um, because I came. You know, I, I was, I was, I think, pretty unusual at the time because we're talking around about nearly five years ago now. And to get somebody who had no kayaking background, who had, you know, no other white water, no other even flat water, you know, paddling background, you know, they, they were really baffled to how to teach me. But the community there were just so supportive and they really wanted myself. And then, you know, a couple of other paddlers came along who had similar, you know, non-paddling backgrounds. And it was really that kind of just keeping us going, you know, keep inviting us back, you know, getting us involved. Um, for me, I think that was really the incentive that kept me coming back and trying to to get back on the white water. And it is scary. Mm. It is very daunting. I mean, as you know, the Home Pier Point uh, course at the National Whitewater Water Sports Centre. Yes, it's that, isn't it? That's yeah, fun. at the National yeah. Water Sports Centre is incredible. I mean, it, it, it was constructed for... Um, I think for slalom um, and um, you know it's not forgiving in any means so you know I think when I first started I was dreaming about that water and it wasn't the easiest of dreams <laughs> I can tell you you know I'd wake up in a, a sweat quite often um, but I think it was you know the community that kept drawing me back and because it's a Nottingham Whitewater SUP is very much structured as a peer support um, and it's a model that actually has been taken up pretty much with, a, I think, around about, I think there's four new groups that have come about this year. 
that I know of. Um, and they're all about peer support. So, you know, the idea is that someone comes along and um, you do everything you can to help them to enjoy their experience. And great to be so inclusive, you know, from the outside, you'd imagine it um, all to be uh, sort of real air and <laughs> big beards and all of that sort of stuff and very, uh, very male dominated. Um, so, so what would your message be to, to uh, female paddlers, to women paddlers who, who did fancy giving it oh, a Oh, I think um, don't be afraid to put yourself forward. Interestingly, so with Whitewater Sup, it tends to predominantly be people with previous whitewater experience and it tends to be the older age range so we're talking kind of 40s upwards and um, they're paddlers who um, can get no further in their other paddling disciplines and are looking for something new to get involved in and uh, find that they get quite quite a rush from paddling grade two and grade three Um, and that rush would be equivalent to when they paddle grade four grade five Um, Interestingly, we get a high propensity of women coming to have a go. And I would say to any women out there who fancy it, you know, get in touch with any of the whitewater subgroups that you can find on Facebook. There's one in the Northeast, there's one in the Southeast now, there's the South Wales group, and there's the Matlock group, as well as there's Nottingham Whitewater Sub. So get in touch with one of the groups, tell them that you're interested. Tell them if you have any gear, tell them if you, you, know, you need to borrow a board, etc. And you will find the communities will do everything they can to come give you your first, you know, invite you for your first taster. I, I think for women, there's just so many women who are having a go. I, and I'm not sure what it is about Whitewater Sup that has kind of attracted uh, so many women. Maybe it's because you can get kind of... You can you can play around on move what we call moving water, so very very you know undemanding water, but it is moving. You can have little little rapids to play on, etc. Or maybe it's because there is actually quite you know it's quite a development, it's quite a journey you can take um, on, on, through whitewater sup. And and in terms of in terms of the skills and techniques, I mean you can talk a bit more about those in detail a little bit later on. But there is a bit of light and dark with it. It's not a power game. You know you have to. You know, to, to use the phrase go with the flow and uh, and manage the water that there is some subtlety there amongst the sort of the power and the use of the paddle there is and it's interesting so when um i support kayakers uh, sorry when i support uh, paddlers who have come from previous uh, paddling background and then when they're male, you tend to find if they haven't got the technique or their technique is a little bit poorer, they can muscle it through so they can use their strength. Mm. For women, you will find that we have to be so technique based because we just don't have that muscle power. You know, we can't pull through a, um, a stopper in the manner that a guy can. Yes. You find that um, people from previous paddling backgrounds, they can actually adapt quite quickly to paddling on paddle boards um, in regards to paddle technique because so much of it has been informed by, you know, kayaking and canoeing. Um, you can you can mm. draw across skills from um, whitewater rafting. So it, it's light and dark. There, there's technique, but, you know, it is not just purely um, a power game, this one. Mm. And when, um, when I was sort of thinking about Whitewater uh, role models, you know, of course, from, uh, apart from yourself, of course, um, you know, looking um, out to, to the states and so on, racers like Fiona Wilde and, um, and real role models like Nikki Gregg, very, very prominent in in Whitewater. So, you know, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's certainly uh, not to run with the stereotype of uh, of a male dominated sport. It does seem to be um, participated in by a huge amount of female paddlers and. And certainly it adds that additional bit of excitement to the whole paddling experience, particularly if you, you tend to be uh, landlocked and uh, don't have access to sea or surf or any of the other sort of adrenaline type um, sort of coastal um, disciplines. Definitely. So congratulations on being selected as um, a She Paddles Ambassador, and that's for British canoeing. Could you just tell me a little bit about the role and, uh, and and the initiative that uh, British Canoeing are running. Yes, of course. So it was set up about three years ago, and it was 
it was getting picked up on by British canoeing that they were finding uh, a disparity in the numbers between the amount of guys taking up paddling and in relation to the amount of women. Um, it was also found, so more men were taking up paddling than women. And this was through their, mem- I think they were noting this through their membership. And they were also finding that um, women were not going up the, what would you call it? Um, so different levels of coaches and in kind of the more senior roles, they were finding that the women were, or the numbers of women were tailing off. That's the right way to say it. Mm. The numbers of women were tailing mm-hmm. off. So you're getting more men at the higher levels, so uh, performance coach, et cetera, compared to women. So it was really a way to start to think about how to address this and to encourage more women to come into or have a go at paddling um, and develop within the paddling um, community. Mm-hmm. So they they select every year 10 women to represent and try and kind of get a, across the, the spectrum of paddling, show that obviously anyone who's interested in the different disciplines can find a role model there. It's very interested in equity. So mm. um, when we say equity, that's about everyone coming in at a level playing field, and that can be in regards to equipment. So it's quite interesting. I I didn't know this, but I was reading recently that, you know, a lot of the, or the majority of the kayaking equipment, for example, is um, designed for men, and women have to get into those and paddle them. So (laughs) you can imagine, you know, they're heavy boats, uh, they can be long boats, they can be, but but designed for the the male. Um, Mm. There's quite a lot of discussion um, in the women's paddling community about that. Also dry suits, you know, we wear dry Mm. suits in the winter. Well, again, you know, there's not that many designs out there for women. And what we do wear, we, they don't fit very well. Um, so a lot of discussion about that. So British Canoeing have a Facebook page called for the women's. It's called the Women's Paddling Community, of which women can join. Doesn't matter if you're just starting in paddling or you're, you know, been doing it for thirty years. It's there for you, and that's where we can celebrate, you know, achievements. We can ask questions, we can discuss issues that have been concerning us. Um, so it's a really nice safe space for women to have those discussions and you know as I say you know it's it's somewhere that you feel you can put you can ask the silly questions and and don't feel Mm. you're going to get laughed at there are 10 10 ambassadors each year as I say and we have paddlers who quite an interesting collection actually this year so there's people like Eleanor Wong who is in the GB women's uh, canoe polo squad then there's Jessica Phillips she's another which is an outdoor instructor but she also does white water sup and then there's India Pearson who does yoga sup so quite a big sup representation Mm. at the moment and then we've got sea kayakers and c1 and k1 slalom so really interesting mix of of women and then our roles are really to develop I suppose awareness of women being in paddle sports. So some, uh, somebody like Claire, um, she has been out doing um, clinics. Myself and Beth Kirby, we, we had planned before, obviously, uh, COVID and the lockdown, to run a white water sup day and we were inviting a number of women to come and have a, their first go. It's something that we are planning still to do, but we're just having to rethink when mm. and how we do it now. So there's lots of kind of like initiatives happening to help women come and have a have a go mm-hmm. um, uh, within the diff- different disciplines. So, yeah. So you are, uh, were you the first white water paddling coach the female one in the UK was no no I wasn't in the end I nearly was but um unfortunately we had (laughs) (laughs) we had huge floods here um Mm. that was that was around uh December time wasn't it Mm -hmm. Uh, in December uh, um, I think I I attempted three times to do my assessment um (laughs) and uh finally achieved that in March of this year so Louise Royal uh, pitched me at the post, bless her. She's oh, a really great, great f- uh, friend. And um, yeah, she, she managed to, to get the qualification first um, and then I was second. So tell us about the, the shape of the, the course that you did for anyone um, looking to expand their qualifications as a coach to Whitewater. So uh, you do um, uh, what we call core coach. And so this is a couple of days of just... I suppose it's kind of really looking at the how 
we approach working with paddlers then you go off and do your specialism. So for me, obviously, that was the Whitewater SUP. And that's a, another two-day course. And that's looking specifically of how we apply, I suppose, the educational theory or the education theory to actually working with paddlers. Um, and you do that with a, you know, a number of other Whitewater SUPers and you, you um, do, um, what would be the word? You do theoretical and you do practical mm-hmm. on the water as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go off, um, you have to have so many hours of experience of, of supporting paddlers. So obviously with the peer support groups, this is great because uh, peer support groups work on any level of paddler, can work with another paddler as long as it's deemed safe mm-hmm. for you to do so. So for me, when I was with Not- um, within Nottingham Whitewater Sup, I was doing probably two years of peer support prior to doing the qualifications and it was because the guys in Nottingham Whitewater Sup were just like you should go do this you, you know you're really good at this mm. um, so that's what took me off to go do core coach then to go off and do the specialist two days and it's it's, it's called an orientation and then you go off and um, if you haven't got all the hours in place you then record your hours and I think it's a minimum of something like 15 sessions you need to do Mm-hmm. And then you, once you've got all your information together, you've done your whitewater safety and rescue course, which is another two-day course. You have to have first aid in place. You have to have child protection in place. So um, once all those things are in place, then you can go off and do your assessment. So it, it's quite a long process. Um, mm. It's a lot of work, actually. Well, in terms of managing risk, it's quite a dynamic environment, but obviously British um, canoeing are very, very experienced in putting these sorts of programmes together. Yeah, and I think we were very fortunate because we have Anthony Ng um, based in North Wales, and he was very, um, very, very much involved in writing you know, the curriculum um, for Whitewater SUP. So for those of you who don't know Anthony, he based up over in Langollen. I've really said that probably awful, awful pronunciation there. I'm sure there are people now shouting, that's not how you say it, but uh, excuse my pronunciation. So he delivers um, at Mile End Mill and on the, on the D round there. Fantastic. I mean, the most amazing paddleboard, uh, really inspirational. And somebody I go to for my own um, coaching. So he, he, he very much worked with British Canoeing on putting, um, as I say, the, the syllabus together. So yes, and he comes from, you know, a big whitewater background himself. So really, lots and lots of experienced people have been involved in putting these, these uh, courses together, which is fantastic. And reading about your experience of, of coaching, I know he gave you a lot of encouragement, which, which is something I know that you've been very focused on, which is the, the particular challenges women face when managing sporting performance and, and obviously um, impacts on, on training. Because I know you did almost didn't do your, your training on one occasion. Could you tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I... I was I was writing articles for British Canoeing about my um, kind of my journey to towards becoming a sub coach, and when I went to do the orientation, so I'm I'm now fifty um, and been going through the perimenopause and was not really kind of fully understanding the impacts of the menopause at the time, and when I went for the orientation. I had a really difficult couple of days and it was very much driven by anxiety and insomnia and just feeling very low in myself, you know, all all symptoms of, Mm. uh, or signals perhaps we should say, of the menopause. And I had to, I had an incredible support of the coaches there who, because I have to say, I, I, yeah, I did. I did nearly walk out after the first day thinking, I just can't do this. And through their support, they encouraged me to come back for the second day. And I, I thought about it quite a lot. And I was thinking, you know, if I've gone through this experience and I haven't seen any articles written about this um, in, um, on, on British Canoeing websites, um, I was thinking, well, you know, what is it? It, it? I can't be that unusual. And I'd been asked to write a piece about the orientation, my, well, my experience with the orientation. 
And I thought, well, why don't I just put an, a different angle to it than rather than, you know, what a, what a great day it was. Why not open it up and just say, hey, you know, I had this experience and it was through the amazing support of, of the coaches that I managed to get through. But I did go through a really tough couple of days. And so it's been quite interesting. I, I have posted that article on, you know, the women's community uh, Facebook page and on my own Facebook page and within the coaching community as well. There's a, a women's coaching Facebook page as well. And the response has been incredible, you know, just saying it's so good that you've written this piece and that you're saying we should be talking about this. And I, I think it is really important because, you know, mm. I'm, on the, I'm not the only woman going through this. And when I did put that information out there and because the response was so good, it made me think, well, are they actual, is this one of the barriers for why women aren't going further in coaching or aren't continuing paddling? I, I, I suppose it's just hoping to, you know, this is the start of a discussion that I hope will keep going mm. um, for another woman to be open and say, well, look, you know, whether you're turning up for a course or you're joining a group of friends, if it's a tough day because of the menopause, we need to be open about it. And we need to be saying, this is this is how I'm feeling today. And, you know, and, and as people, you know, as paddlers getting on the white water, we need to be very honest um, with the, the people we're, we're paddling with anyway, how we're feeling, et cetera, because it is such a, um, it's psychologically demanding uh, paddling white water as it is physically demanding. Mm. And if you're not in that right headspace, things can go wrong. But if you've got the support of your, your group around you, you can probably have a very successful day on the water. It might have to be managed differently. Um, it might have to be a shorter day for you. It might be that you have to you know, eat every half hour or something like that to be able to get through just to keep your energy levels up. It might be that you need to rest at some point. But if your, your, your friends that you're paddling with are aware of this then and are the right people to be paddling with, they will support you through that so you can have a good day on the water. It's one of those stigmas that obviously uh, people, as, as you say, don't talk about. Uh, I mean, it's very heartening to um, hear more about uh, mental health issues mm. and how mm. how people have embraced um, that as a cause and also acknowledged how SUP can really help with that aspect. And, and mental health is a uh, you know, integral part of managing menopause or, or any other issue. So, absolutely, and I, I think that is. I think you're absolutely right. There has been so much written about uh, mental health and being physically active, hasn't there? And a lot of paddlers are very open about their their mental health. Um, so to take it to you know into a, a to not another level. That sounds like this is more important, but to incorporate that you know women are whether they are you know 16 year old girl going through her you know having a period and how that impacts on her monthly to whether you're the older woman who's having to deal with the menopause this is important stuff to be talking about mm. um and it, it, if it can in, increase access and we know more women well there's a huge increase isn't there this year in regards to interest to stand up boarding but if we want to keep people taking part in in this sport it is an incredible sport whether you're paddling on flat water you know at the weekends or doing the stuff that you know that I do it's it's relaxing it's fun there 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 are great people there to hang out with we want to keep people come, coming back and doing it um so let's let's talk about this stuff you know it's 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 good to get it out there just Moving on to the specifics of, of white water here, because uh, I would certainly be classified as a white water newbie if I sort of stepped <laughs> out on that uh, in that sort of environment. I'd just like to ask you a bit about kit and uh, and technique and so on. But first, just going back to something that we kind of touched on a bit earlier about mm -hmm. sort of female specific kit or probably more male specific kit. One of the questions that I get um, on SUP FM fairly regularly and also I tend to encounter as an instructor is the difficulties of, of women getting back up on a paddleboard after they've fallen off. Now, um, part of that's down to sort of upper body strength mm -hmm. and so on. And uh, bearing in mind that uh, in a whitewater environment, the likelihood is, is that you'll be hauling yourself back on your board fairly frequently. What What's your favourite approach? And do you think that Perhaps the uh, traditional design of, of PFDs 
make a, a difference to how easily women can haul themselves back up? And also, are there any PFDs particularly that, that you favour or brands in order to, to help that process? Um, so when I started on SUP, I found it incredibly difficult to get back up on a board. And as you've, you know, you've just alluded to, a lot of it's to do with upper body strength, but also the technique of how you, you do it. So one of the things I had to do, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't even carry a paddle board. I found them so heavy. And I think this, you know, as we were saying earlier with the, kayaking equipment being designed for men that women have happen to paddle, have to paddle um i do wonder the more and more i i play around on subs again are we experiencing the same thing you know guys have been paddling uh, sorry guys have been designing these boards with guys in mind not with women in mind because they are big and heavy you know the inflatable boards are not easy to carry i'm only five foot my arms aren't that long. So carrying a paddleboard under my arm, I quite often, you know, scrape it on the ground when I'm having to carry it up steps and things. So I think I do wonder whether design needs to be rethought a little bit for women. There are some brands out there that have, I know uh, Louise is paddling what we call uh, a design called a design that's uh, made by Tambo, which she likes very much because it's lighter. She can she can carry up and down, you know, the banks, etc. So getting back onto my board for me, it was really increasing my fitness. So I came with very little fitness uh, to paddleboarding. It meant that I started uh, biking more. It started uh, going, and I continued to do strength training. It was really about thinking about how to be my healthiest and my fittest so that I could do the sport. I also went and saw a nutritionist and had to rethink what I ate. And so my fitness level now is, compared to five years ago, is is completely different. It has to be to be able to, um, to, be able to paddle. Getting back on the boards... Yeah, so with white water, you are aiming to try not to fall off your board. But as you say, we do a lot. My, we work very much what we what we call the tripod. So this is, if you imagine a you know a camera tripod. Mm-hmm. So you're you're you've got one one foot further forward, one foot further back, and your third leg of your tripod is your paddle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's your really that's how you you stay balanced on that board using the weight of the water on that third the third leg of the paddle but of course we will start to you know when you hit certain um, features you start to get rocked and you you've got propensity to fall so then we work because we're working in a tripod position we try to fall to one knee or down onto two knees so it's a bit like you know when you watch skateboarders you know, in at the park, and when they when they fall off their their skateboard uh, skateboards, they um they drop down to two knees on you know the big drops. Do you ever see that? So that's like their safety fall. So for whitewater sup, we've we very much drop to our two knees or, or one knee or two knees onto our paddle boards, and then use a brace to try and stay on the board. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's what that's your ideal, but as you know, we do fall off. So there, it's very much about spinning as quickly as you can to grab that centre handle, throw your you know hold on uh, with your paddle in your hand, very much as you do on flat water. Do uh, float your legs up at the back um, and dolphin kick and pull as hard as you can to get onto the board. I mean, one of one of my observations about this, and obviously relating to the, the PFDs, is that people often. Um, when they're getting up there, they kind of drag themselves on, which obviously mm-hmm. if you've got a PFD underneath mm-hmm. um, you, that sort of provides a stopper. What I've observed is that people who do it successfully actually use their forearms to push down on the board yes. and then pull themselves upwards. And then that sort of gets you over that lip, both the PFD and the, the yeah. rail of the board, and then they can kind of slide from that position. Yes, and I think that's the same on, on the white water. You can do that little push down on, on the, the edge of your board. It's not something I've mastered very well, to be honest, because it's such a dynamic environment. 
it's something I quite often forget. So it's something I'm having to work on quite a lot. With the PFDs, do I have a recommendation? I haven't found. I haven't found the ideal PFD or buoyancy aid, um, as we call them, that, you know, I'm flat chested. So I'm pretty lucky. But I know women who are bigger chested really struggle. Again, I think it has to be done about getting your, your upper body strength um, really, really up there. Plus, you know, and I, and I said, you know, when I started biking and I do the strength training, really having good muscle in your thighs as well. So you can get that dolphin kick as hard as possible. In terms of strength training, what recommendations if you're starting off your, your strength regime to get those muscles built up a bit? So I do free weights, so you know, quite traditional style um, weight training. I, I was lucky to find a local small gym with a, a great trainer who I can have discussions with and say, you know, this isn't working or I'm trying to get this move on the white water and he'll have a really good think about it and, and try and incorporate a specific move using the weights. But a lot of it is just... You know, there's the very standard stuff that you do in a gym with free weights is is just really for me. It's been about not so much a specific exercise, but a very much a all round exercise. It that uh, using the weights to build up my strength in my arms and my shoulders. I think that there's often um, a fear in terms of sort of women doing free weights that uh, you're going to end up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I guess you could if you really worked on it and really wanted to. But in terms of sort of building the strength, it, it, it is literally that, isn't it? It is, yes. And I think it's you shouldn't kind of put the emphasis just saying, well, if I go do strength training, I'll be really good at getting on my board. It's the kind of the... the the, the, the regular paddling plus the strength training for me has been the game changer. So the more I paddle, the more I increase my uh, strength in my upper body. The more I do strength training, the more I increase the ability to paddle on my board. In terms of, of kit and, and characteristics and, and so on of the actual boards, how do um, specialist white water boards differ from, say, a conventional 10-6 red and and is it really necessary to get a specialist white water board when you're starting off i would say i would say yes yes having a a specific white water board is the game changer you do see people trying it with leisure boards flat water leisure boards the difficulty there is that the boards do not have the um what's the word you would call it um they don't stay as rigid. Um, right. So if you think of if you think of the white water, and it's you know it's a, an ever changing movement of water, and it's what it's doing is its best is to throw you off your board. So the more rigid your board is, the more that you've got the uh, the chance to to paddle successfully. Mm. So if you say like you te- you you said about the red leisure ten um, six. Um, I have tried that on white water, and what it does is that it will push the ends up, and it will create like a, it's almost like a wall. wave. Yeah, a wave, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's horrendous. So not only have you got all that moving water under you doing everything it can to um, you know creating that dynamic environment, you've also got that board doing the wobble or the, as you call it the wave, and you've got to you've got to deal with that as well. And it's it's just a dreadful. It's, hor- it's a horrible experience, you know. Some people can do it, but, you know, you wouldn't want to take it on big water. No way. A little bit of moving water, yes, it, you, you, could, you could do that. So, yeah, white water board, absolutely. And, you know, again, going back to these peer support groups, quite often, you know, because these boards are expensive. You're looking around about 900 to over a £1,000 for a board. Mm-hmm. brand new um so you know a lot of the peer uh, groups often somebody will have a board that you can have a go on and really there are a lot of models out there so the difference with the white water to a flat water is they have um what we call rockers and i i always think of them as a nose and tail rocker so um it means that when you are on the white water you can maneuver the board easily I tend to paddle around a, a nine eight, nine six nine eight board, big heavy board, but very very stable. 
and they tend to be around about six inches uh, in uh, depth. So you really got that rigidity there. You can get what we call pay and play boards. So this is where you rock up to a, um, a man-made course and you can jump on with a smaller board. Um, so you're not river running, you're literally playing in features in a, uh, in a uh, specific area on uh, a river. Um, so the, the pay and play boards, they tend to be shorter in length. They're much they're spinnier, if that's a good way to say it. So you can have an 8.8 or a 7.8. A 7.8 would be for river surfing. So when we talk about paddling on white water, we, we're actually talking about, a, I suppose, three different areas. There's what we call river running. So that's from point A to point B. Pay and play. So that's staying on a fun section of a course. And then there's river surfing, and that's when you tend to get the the, the smaller boards will sit in in that wave, um, and you can surf the wave. So there's, there's three different three three different kind of disciplines within whitewater sup that are currently um, or have been evolving over the last few years. And, and what's your favourite? Where's your uh, where's your enthusiasm lie, or do you just enjoy all of it? Um, I would love to be a great river surfer. But it's something that I ha- I still have. I'm, I'm okay on a small board. <laughs> Sorry, on a small wave. I'm, I'm okay on a small wave. Um, once the wave gets bigger, I find it really difficult to get on those waves. So for me at the moment, I love the pay and play. And um, I love the river running. Uh, river running has been something that I've been developing this year with lockdown a lot more. Just because I think, you know, as a busy mum, I don't get the chance to... Uh, scoot off at the weekends um watching the the river levels rise and suddenly going okay i can go paddle you know i have to plan things a lot so i've been very much a pay and play you know going to home pier point and getting on the course there but this year because partner's been at home he's been able to take on a bit more of the childcare, and i've been able to go off and do a bit more river running which has been really exciting yeah what goes on with with the fins there because you can imagine um if you're doing some river running and you strike the odd um, rock or whatever that's gonna that's gonna damage your fins is there any specific fin setup for a whitewater board that's different from one used by a, a normal leisure paddler um so fins is a is a huge discussion point uh in whitewater sup um some paddlers um like to paddle with no fins at all and the purpose of fins is obviously tracking, so it just helps to keep your board straighter. Some will go with two fins, and some will play with four fins. I personally have always gone with two fins, and some boards come with fixed fins, so you have no choice. So if you're looking at something like, uh, I think, the Harla. Um, and mm-hmm. Fanatic, uh, they were last year's Fanatic, they were fixed fins. I think uh, Fanatic have moved over to fins you can remove. So you can change the setup to what your preference is. Our rivers here tend to be quite low. You know, there are a lot of rocks that you can hit with your fins. So that's why some paddlers choose to go finless. But that's harder work because you've got to really have great nose control through your paddling mm. skills to keep that board going where you want it to go. So I, I've kind of gone for the mid-ground <laughs> with two fins. I have removable fins. I, I use, um, as well as a Fanatic, I use um, quite a lot of NRS boards, um, and they have fantastic removable fins, and they have bulletproof fins. I haven't destroyed one of those fins yet. There have been, um, and I've got, I've got this new Fanatic board, and it's a last-year model, so it came with fixed fins, and I'm going to try it this weekend um, over at Myland Mill and see how those fins fare. I don't know, to be honest. So I think, you know, with fins, um, play around with the setup, have a look. I would recommend fins that you can remove. Um, sometimes it's just good to be able to paddle without them, just d- due to the levels of the water and say the amount of rocks that you could hit. And of course, if you hit rocks, you're going to be falling off. So you want to minimise that. As we're sort of continuing on this equipment uh, advice section, uh, what about specialist paddles? Are there any um, more robust ones that you tend to favour? Um, again, it's one of those huge discussion points in um, in the community. There are lots and lots of different paddles out there. I tend to use a plastic blade 
just because it's robust. I, have, I haven't personally broken one of those yet. So I use a red paddle, very standard, cheap end. Um, mine's actually designed for um, children because it's shorter. Again, paddle, paddles are designed for tall people. Um, <laughs> so I have a very standard red paddle. Some people will talk about using, um, I think there's kind of a interest in using carbon, things like that, but um, more robust you can get it, the, the, the better. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So having, um, having nailed two massive areas of debate, um, the fin and then the paddle choice, a, a nice soft one for you, which is uh, uses of leash on white water. Um, <laughs> I know that that's totally uncontroversial. Uh, what's your view on, on the use of leashes and how they should be used on fast flowing water? So for me, I think, you know, what was it, probably a couple of years ago, there was a lot of discussion in the communities on flat and uh, in white water. In the UK, this is um, about the type of leash. In white water, we use what's called a quick release waist leash. This you can put your, around your waist or you can put around the top of your uh, buoyancy aid. Um, and it works on the basis that if you get tangled up, be it with, um, I don't know, let's say a branch or mm -hmm. around a rock or um, your I don't know, a bit of tree, a bit of debris in the water, you can release that leash and it means that you are swept away from your board um, and it reduces risk of harm mm -hmm. to yourself. Yeah. Um, that's become very standard, I think, in white water. It's up. I don't think people are arguing the point what people are arguing is whether they use the quick release um, waist leash or they attach it to the buoyancy aid if it's attached to your buoyancy aid you can't quick release if you think you're getting thrown around in a feature you might be underwater you're not going to be able to find that that where it's clipped onto your um your buoyancy aid with a carabiner that that that's for to my mind that's just a no-brainer don't do it mm, go for yeah. your quick release um uh waist leash um because it's about finding it in a very difficult circumstance to to, to release it i i also instruct um on flat water and i always say to anyone who i work with for me it's whether you're on flat or moving or white, go with a quick release waist leash. I, I don't think there's any argument. I, I'm, I know we've uh, we've had this kind of, and you, you obviously you know part of you paddle on the sea, so you know that from surfing has come the ankle leash, mm. um, and an ankle leash. I don't know whether it has a part to play anymore. I think you know there's been some um, near misses on the water, and I think even recently a death where someone has yep. been um, using an ankle leash on the sea, um, mm -hmm. and they've got wrapped around groins. They've been uh, tangled with, uh, I think, some legs. Moored boats and so on. really horrendous things happening out there, hasn't there? Um, how do you get to your ankle if you're being dragged underwater or caught mm. around? Well, you, you don't. You don't. Well, you don't. And, and, and there's a great video, and I'm not sure it's by your group. I think it was shot in Nottingham about, you know, the practicalities of being stuck in white water or being snagged with a leash. And it was all done in a very controlled environment, but it really um, brought it to, to life because basically if you're being pulled by the, the flow, the flow's heading past you, it is almost impossible to get down and release that uh, that ankle. So it's super critical. And and the other thing is, is that, you know, um, obviously river flow is, is the thing that uh, is the key feature of white water but um, there, there's tidal flows mm -hmm. um, going on all the time and increasing traffic so the risks are absolutely there and I would say anything other than a, maybe a sort of a hardcore surf environment mm -hmm. um, quick release waste leash is definitely the, the way to go yeah and, and and the video that you're you're alluding to yes that was not in white water sup um, you know 
Barry um, Hughes was just picking up on this discussion, this ongoing debate online about which leashes to wear. And I think he'd got to the point where he, he it was so difficult to describe in, in a comment or in writing that he and the guys decided, well, let's just let's just put a scenario together, you say, in a very controlled environment, just to show what happens if you get caught. Um, and that was that was that's on what we call the back channels. That's on a training, you know, a bit of water for newbies. Um, mm. And that was frightening enough to to watch, isn't? As you as you mm. see on the video, um, put that into you know grade two, grade three, grade four water. Yeah, it, 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 yeah it's a no brainer. You know, put your quick release waist leash on, please. That's what I would say. <laughs> so that's very very clear advice from from Emma there, and the rest of the sub community as well. Yeah. So so in terms of the the other sort of bits and pieces for for white water sub, obviously you have got your paddle, your leash, all the other bits and pieces that uh, that everyday flat water paddlers would have or be slightly different spec um, there's also an element of protection as well so you, you mentioned about the dry suits which are clearly designed for men uh, what other um, protections do you do you really have to get on with because obviously there's helmets and body armor as well I've seen people wearing yes so with with paddling on the rivers you have always got to keep in mind that you have a lot of uh rocks etc under the water so you're looking to protect your body as much as possible so in the summer you will i i will go for uh, a full body wetsuit even if it's really really hot i will still wear a full length wetsuit because i'm thinking about you know whether my, i get grazed on rocks etc in the winter, we wear dry suits because it's so cold. Um, the wetsuits just don't, they can't do the job that we need. So we're wearing thermals and dry suits in the winter. As well as that, um, we're wearing boots that will cover our ankles. So again, to protect our, um, uh, our feet and ankles. And you're looking for quite solid, well, for me, I wear quite solid footwear. It reduces the feel of the board. But for me, I'd rather have that than, you know, again, get some injury to the base of my foot if I land on a rock. We then wear knee shin pads. Um, so the ones that we tend to go for are the WRSI ones. These are, these are designed specifically for white water sup. Some people, and especially people kind of first starting out, will um, a, a good kind of uh, uh, intermediate one is to go for ones that you would wear if you were doing um, biking. So um, they, again, are knee and shin um, pads. So this would be, what is it called? Off-road biking, is that right? Yeah, downhill. Downhill, downhill biking, yes. So if you do downhill biking, the pads that they they supply for those, they can be quite good. And they are cheaper um, than the white water spec ones. Um, We also wear elbow pads. We can wear, um, and I I have a tendency to wear uh, a full-face helmet. and again, this is to protect the jawline and your nose. So again, you're mm-hmm. trying to you're trying to cover as much as your body, so that if you do fall off, you are protected from hitting. And I have hit a number of rocks, even with all that padding. They seem to find a way through. Mm-hmm. I also wear snowboarding pants. So you know the ones that cover your coccyx and the side mm-hmm. of your thighs. Um, I wear those on top of my wetsuit or underneath my dry suit. And that's really, that's the, that's, that's the gear that you would need to be, I, you can't claim to be safe, but safer on white water, definitely. And in terms of, in terms of the helmet, there are specialist white water helmets. I, I guess you would um, wear those or, or water sports helmets. I think helmets have been something that I've really seen an increase in not just obviously for the practicalities of white water, but also there are a lot of surfers um, who are starting to wear them as well. And oh, okay. um, that's interesting. Yeah, I had a. Uh, I've got a very close friend who had a very uh, close um, 
encounter with Bournemouth Pier, mm-hmm. which caused a fair amount of damage. So that kind of spooked quite a lot of the surfers, I think, uh, round about that area. But um, so presumably use a, a specialist uh, wood sports helmet, do you? Yes. Now, that, that, yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I have seen people talk about using um, different types of helmets. I think in the States there was a um, there was a discussion where some people have been saying, oh, you know, isn't it okay to use a bike helmet or um, I think there was a, uh, a mountain climbing helmet or rock climbing helmet. Um, and, yeah, we use white water spec helmets. So it's exactly the same as you would see a white water kayaker use. And there's, again, you know, please don't go outside of that. Just just buy the equipment that's made specifically to deal with the environment that we, we're paddling in. Well, small price to pay, bearing in mind that the cost of other equipment and also um, the cost of hitting your head badly. So, yeah, definitely uh, a, a good investment to make. Absolutely. This is about your, your life, isn't it? This is about, you know, safeguarding yourself as much as possible. Exactly. So j- just moving on now, um, could you just talk us through some of the, the, the sort of the key skills, you know, perhaps as an example, because I think I think ferrying is a skill to um to introduce you to some of those core white water skills so j- just talk us through if you were going to take me through how to to ferry across a water how how would you lead me into that as a beginner okay so the idea of ferrying is that you move from left to right or right to left across a river and you're moving from what we call one eddy to another eddy um so an eddy is how I would describe it as a quiet patch of water. It's kind of like a, it's a stillness on the river. So they sit on, um, in patches on the edges of rivers um, and you have the flow going through the center. Mm-hmm. So if I want to cr- cross over from, say, uh, river left to river right, my board is facing upriver. Um, you, um, you point your nose between kind of one to a clock and you place your paddle on the side that you're going to be heading across. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to go to uh, river right, I'll be paddling with my paddle on the right. It's I'm, I'm, I'm doing the I'm doing the actions as I'm talking to you now, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite so hard I. to do without so the water I. there. Um, so you're you're you're. It's almost like you're paddling forwards, and because of the angle of mm-hmm. your nose. That pulls you across the water. Does that does that make sense? Mm. So, um, yeah, no, so yeah, let me just just paddle this in my in my uh, in my room. <laughs> <I'm paddling laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so you're 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 you are. I suppose the easiest way to say is you're you're paddling forwards, but because of the angle of your nose, it it, it draws you across. So left to right um, across mm-hmm. that 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 patch of water. Yeah, and, and one of the critical things that I've discovered while I'm practicing it is what you do with the rail because you've got to kind of slightly lean back and lead away from where the river's coming from because if you dip your rail, you know, if you go the other way and you dip your rail in, then the water can really sort of take you off your board in, in the worst situation, can't it? That's right. So you're, you're as, as you're paddling across, you actually put um, weight into and this is here we are again paddling left to right you put weight onto the left hand side of your board so it's actually through your foot so the best way to do it is actually to lighten or to put your left foot rather than having it flat on the board just lift it up a bit and and almost like you're on tippy toe on your left foot does that make sense Mm -hmm. so you do that that automatically puts weight into your right leg and that means Mm -hmm. you lift the rail so that's the left hand side of your board Mm-hmm. up so that as you travel across um your the the flow of the water is not getting on top of the board and that's what mm. sinks you down mm. so when you're ferrying you will have to have some of that element there it's, it's not as acute as if you were turning and going down river where you really need that quite acute um mm. the, this is the lifting of the rail um Yes, and then you you up the nose a bit. So you will have that rocker on a white water board. Your nose will already be curved upwards on a good design. Mm -hmm. So that will do quite a lot of the work. But yes, you can step back a little bit. So you lift the nose a bit more as you're paddling across. 
Brilliant. That's a that's a great description. And apologies for putting you on the spot there. I <laughs> realised that podcast is not the best medium for this sort of uh, this sort of instruction. I think um, you know I'd refer you to a, to a good YouTube video to, to really <laughs> illustrate it. But I think I think we made a fairly good job. It was there. a good staff, wasn't it? I was so many hand actions going on there. You would not believe. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, as I said, I've been paddling with you so uh, down this end. So, uh, <laughs> So, um, so, so, Emma, um, really appreciate all your time today. Um, it's been fantastic, and I've learned a massive amount. Um, just to sort of finish off, I know you've got um, a few um, a few trips planned over for the next uh, weeks. What, where would you say, first of all, in the UK, are uh, a good location for for white water, or your favourite locations for white water, and um, what worldwide locations would you love to visit once uh, once COVID has settled down and uh, obviously with um, cost being no object? Uh-huh. Um, so for me, um, my paddling has, as, as I said earlier, has been predominantly at home pier point. Where I've been paddling since uh, we've been able to get back on the water um, has been up at Matlock Bath in um, Derbyshire. It's a it's a lovely bit of water that I would really recommend um, at its lower levels for newbies. Um, obviously, please don't go on your own. Um, please pedal mm-hmm. with somebody else with more experience and knowledge um, to support you. But Matlock Bath is a lovely bit of water to go and 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 just practice. Um, so a lot of what I've been working on recently is um, paddle technique and really refining it and doing that on very low level water where you've got time to play and 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 to keep tweaking because once you get onto bigger water it's obviously a faster moving environment and you've you've really got to have those skills honed on the lower grades to um, have any success on bigger water mm-hmm. so matlock bath's been a really lovely spot and it's a beautiful area as well to be in i'm heading off to uh myland mill in north wales um on the d and that again is 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 a great bit of water. It's a very popular paddling spot for white water in general. So you know, going from Horseshoe Falls down to Myland Mills, a lovely river run, but also you know, it's a good play section um, at the mill. So I should be there on uh, this weekend. In fact, having a paddle there. Another and a new place to me is uh, Simmons Yacht. Um, again, a very lovely kind of uh, play area to go and and yeah, just have really good fun on. Mm. It's a when I paddled it, so I've only been there once. It's been a really robust grade two. It's not somewhere for beginners, I would say, but um, yes, once you've you know you're moving on towards kind of intermediate, I think that's a really really fun place to go and paddle. And internationally, where, where have you got your eye on if uh, cost was absolutely no object? Internationally. It's a difficult one for me, that, because with my environmental head on, um, I wouldn't be looking to travel by plane mm. to go and get to these rivers. You can paddle, of course. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's some there's some amazing um, pay and play parks over in uh, in the states. The Salmon River looks amazing. Costa Rica looks like a fantastic yeah. place to go paddle, doesn't it? Oh, um, yeah, I suppose I'd be heading that way. Um, there's a there's a guy that I chat to sometimes, uh, David Satori. I hope I've said his surname correctly. Um, sorry, it's Davide. Um, he is an instructor over in the States and he does some incredible trips. So I think on my wish list would be to see where he was paddling and, um, yeah, go paddle with him. I think, I think heading over to the States would be great. There's some beautiful big rivers, big bouncy rivers. So mm. over here we get a lot of shallow. Um, I think the, the, the Americans would call it creek running here. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, I, I'd head over to some, some big wave trains in the States. Fabulous. Good stuff. Well, that all sounds very exciting and good luck in your uh, 
forays over the next couple of weeks um, and you've certainly inspired me to to take up uh, white water I think it's a fantastic opportunity to build skills and and as I tend to sort of cycle through the various different disciplines as such which I've had uh, had the opportunity to do over the last few years everything really adds to to my skills and uh, I can see white water you know with the complexity of the environment really uh, contributing to that so um, sounds like a, a really exciting area of SUP to explore. Um, Emma, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been an absolute joy. Um, in terms of finding out about you and the, the She Paddles initiative, where, where can we uh, get that information? So the articles that I've written for British Canoeing, you can find on the British Canoeing website. Also, all the information about She Paddles, again, on uh, British Canoeing website. The uh, Women's Paddling Community Facebook page, just uh, do a search for it um, and you will find us there. And uh, I, I think that's that's everything, yeah. Brilliant. Lovely. Well, uh, thanks ever so much for joining us. It's been a while. I think we first sort of spoke via email. It might even have been the first week of lockdown. So it's been a while um, since we first made our contact and managed to speak. But appreciate your your time and good luck with your continued development, senior coaching um, <laughs> approaches, hopefully. And um, I look forward to seeing you on the water. Oh, you too, Simon. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.